The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by Dole Food Company, the world's leading producer and distributor of fresh fruits and vegetables. Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. I want to take a moment to welcome new listeners who are tuning in from coast to coast in every state of the Union and also extend a special welcome to members of our armed forces who are tuning in over the Internet from remote outposts. Thank you for making us part of your Newsweek. In just a moment, one of our most knowledgeable experts on the history, culture, and operations of ISIS, Mr. Hassan Hassan, will be joining us to talk about why ISIS has been so difficult for the United States and its allies to defeat and what effect President Trump's new defense policies will have on stopping the global ISIS threat. But before Mr. Hassan joins us, as is my custom each week, let me tell you a little about his background. Hassan Hassan grew up in eastern Syria near the Iraq border. In 2000, he moved to Damascus to do his undergraduate work at Damascus University and later completed his master's degree at the University of Nottingham in the United Kingdom. In 2008, Hassan became a journalist for the national newspaper in the United Arab Emirates. In 2015, Hassan co-released one of the most comprehensive and revealing books on ISIS titled ISIS Inside the Army of Terror, which quickly rose to the top of the New York Times bestseller list and was also chosen by the Wall Street Journal as one of the top 10 must-reads on terrorism in the Middle East. As one of the foremost experts on the inner workings of ISIS, Hassan has worked with the Brookings Institute, Carnegie Endowment for International Peace, European Council on Foreign Relations, and the Tahrir Institute for Middle East Policy in Washington, D.C. He has also testified before the Senate Homeland Security and Government Affairs Committee and the House Foreign Affairs Committee. It is my pleasure to welcome co-author of ISIS Inside the Army of Terror, Mr. Hassan Hassan. Thank you for joining us today, Mr. Hassan. Thank you. It's a, it's a pleasure. I'd like to spend the bulk of our time today talking about what America and her allies can do to dismantle ISIS. But before we do that, I think it's important for all of us to have some context for how ISIS came into power. So if you don't mind, let's start there. In brief, how did we move from al-Qaeda to ISIS as the major terrorist threat? Sure. Uh Back in the like in the, in the beginnings, uh, Al Qaeda and ISIS were uh, one. Uh, they came out of each other. So uh, Abu Musab al-Zarqawi, the founder of ISIS, what we know today as ISIS, uh, moved from Afghanistan to uh, Iraq uh, after the Iraq War. Uh, in fact, he came. Uh, he arrived in Iraq before the Iraq War, but he started his operation uh, and uh, pledged allegiance to Osama bin Laden after uh, the Iraq War and. Um, and then he founded uh, what became Al-Qaeda in Iraq, and out of the Al-Qaeda in Iraq uh, emerged uh, the Islamic State of Iraq, uh, and then the Islamic State in Iraq and Syria, which is ISIS, and then after that, that changed into uh, the Islamic State or the Caliphate in 2014. Let's talk about this evolution and this widespread appeal. Why have they been so successful at recruitment and also expansion into other countries? Well, we, I mean, what we've seen over the uh, past decades is the evolution of jihadism in general in the, in the Middle East. And uh, ISIS came out of this, uh, of this trend. They evolved, they changed their tactics, they changed uh, the, the way they... Uh, 
choose their targets and so on and so forth. ISIS, um, uh, you know, uh, emerged out of the Iraq War and uh, the Iraq Civil War, uh, and uh, its tactics are shaped by the violence and and uh, and, uh, and and the different dynamics in Iraq uh, over the past decade or so. Uh, so it, um, uh, its ideology is shaped really by the events that uh, follow the Iraq uh, the Iraq War. Uh, that is to say. Uh, targeting fellow Sunni, uh, Muslims and Sunnis, uh, their, uh, ISIS, unlike Al Qaeda, started to focus on uh, Shia uh, Muslims and, uh, and on fellow Sunnis uh, who are supposed to be uh, its constituency inside inside Iraq. So, for the best part of uh, its operation, it was an Iraqi uh, insurgent organization focusing on fellow Iraqis as uh, the priority. Uh, enemies, uh, in addition to the Americans, obviously, uh, throughout the Iraq, Iraq war. When the Syrian uprising uh, began in 2011, uh, the, uh, you know, the, the group moved into Syria and started to um, expand its operation inside Syria. And that's when it started to go back to its roots of being an international organization rather than just Iraqi uh, insurgent uh, organization. And that's when we started to see that a whole evolution of uh, jihadism as we know it. It's different from Al-Qaeda and it's different from uh, ISIS when it was only, only operating inside Iraq. When I read your book, I realize that uh, a number of situations occurred which opened the door for expansion, for recruitment, for the strength of ISIS, beginning with the Iraq war and the travesty there. And then, of course, the Syrian uprising in 2011, also another door opened. It seemed as though uh, ISIS was poised that when these doors opened, Yemen, Libya, uh, they were prepared to move in very quickly. Do I have that right? You're absolutely right. And the thing about jihadists, uh, and this will continue to be the situation for a decade, people now are talking about the defeat of ISIS and it's uh, being defeated in some areas. But it's, uh, you know, these organizations play a long game and they have the strategic patience uh, to move from one area to another to uh, benefit from the openings that you just mentioned and other openings uh, to, uh, to, to, to survive and endure. And um, uh, they have indeed uh, benefited from a series of uh, geopolitical and political failures uh, for over the past, uh, you know, a decade. And they will continue to benefit, and they will uh, benefit from, uh, I think, the narrow um, uh, thinking about uh, how to defeat uh, these organizations. I don't think you can defeat this organization militarily or only militarily. You need to do much more than that. You need to deal with, uh, you need to deal with them as a local uh, problem uh, that uh, rose and became so powerful because of local grievances and local problems and uh, these local problems have to be dealt with by uh, uh, w with kind of a long-term uh, uh, strategic thinking about about, uh, about these issues and and, and uh, the bedrock of any sound counterterrorism policy uh, is uh, for this policy to be accepted locally to be seen as working for for locals rather than just counterterrorism uh, operation that drops bombs and, and, and so on and so forth. That's not going to work because it hasn't worked over the past decade. Uh, on, what we see is, uh, uh, you know, the jihadism grows uh, or persists. Uh, they might disappear for a couple of years, but they come back with a vengeance. And this is the cycle we've seen over the past decade. That's right. And, and one of the conditions that's undeniable is that the areas in which they're succeeding uh, have massive unemployment and lack of opportunity. Uh, many of the people that they're recruiting uh, have no alternative to turn to, and desperate people will do desperate things. We know this. So much of the priming of the pump was the poverty and the, uh, the disastrous lack of opportunity that uh, many of the ISIS recruits uh, faced, and, and for multiple generations. I, I agree. So over the, uh, you know, uh, say the last two, three years, I've interviewed uh, many of these uh, mem members of ISIS and members of, uh, you know, jihadists in Syria and Iraq. 
uh, as part of my job as a journalist and also for, for the book. Um, and what I found is a, a kind of an, a range of uh, reasons why these uh, these people join uh, groups like that. Uh, yeah, Mr. Hassan, we have to, We unfortunately, we've got to take a hard break here. But when we come back, let's dive into what those reasons are that prime the pump for ISIS. We have to take our Absolutely. first break. Stay right where you are. We'll be back with more from Hassan Hassan. You're listening to the Costa Report. I'm not going to lie, bro. That is the best pizza I've ever eaten. Maybe he's not lying. Maybe that really was the best piece of pizza he ever ate. But at some point, we all lie, or cheat, or steal, or commit some kind of sin. The Bible says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. In other words, if we say we don't sin, we're lying, which is a sin. But that same passage goes on to say this, If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. God can do that because Jesus, the Son of God, died on a cross to take the penalty for our sins. Jesus was, is, and always will be perfect. Are you ready to ask him to forgive your sins? I'm not going to lie, man. I am. Then go to this website, findpeacewithgod.net. We're the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Hi, I'm Amy Tobin, cookbook author and culinary expert. Strawberries, blueberries, blackberries, and raspberries. Dole has a bounty of berries ripe for the picking. Fresh berries are not only delicious, but some of the most powerful disease-fighting foods available. Researchers have found that berries have some of the highest antioxidant levels of any fresh fruits. So add a handful or two of your favorite berries to your next meal and enjoy their nutritional benefits and natural sweetness in all of your dishes, from salads to desserts and everything in between. For fresh tips and ideas from Dole's berry experts, visit berries.dole.com. And be sure to check out the pages of mouth-watering recipes. Whether it's a sweet and savory blueberry cranberry chicken salad or a simple strawberry sorbet, Dole has the perfect berry to inspire your next berrylicious dish. KSEO is gathering together to raise money for the Special Olympics Northern California by taking a fun polar plunge into the ocean at the Santa Cruz Main Beach. The money raised will provide sports training and competition opportunities to the over 19,000 Special Olympics athletes. The KSEO Coldcasters are asking the community to make a donation to help create opportunities for children and adults with intellectual differences instilling the confidence they need to succeed in life and have fun. Please join the Coldcasters to make a difference. Go to SONC.org to make a donation to Team Coldcasters. The event is on Saturday, March 11th and starts at 11.30 a.m. Don't forget, go to SONC.org to make a donation to Team Coldcasters. Attention men, if you have tried or wanted to try Viagra or Cialis, or if you've ordered an over-the-counter product in the last few years, Noxitril is an option that is completely private, has received tremendous reviews, and can be at your door in just days. Pharmaceutical companies dislike us because we present a real option to their higher prices and insurance limitations. After years of research, Noxitril has been developed and formulated in U.S. FDA labs packed with the highest quality potent ingredients. Noxitril is a true breakthrough in male potency. This remarkable all-natural pill is being called Viagra on steroids and is known as a sure winner. So what are you waiting for? Call now and ask how to get your free supply. Call now and find out how to get a free bottle of Noxitril while supplies last. Call 1-800-480-5681. That's 800-480-5681. Free bottles for a limited time, so call now. 800-480-5681. 800-480-5681. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is one of the foremost experts on ISIS, journalist and author Hassan Hassan. And before the break, we were talking about the ground conditions, which 
made it easy for ISIS to recruit and expand. And you were making the point earlier that simply bombing ISIS will not solve the problem. We need to go to the source of the problem, which means looking at the conditions in Iraq, Syria, Yemen, Libya, and elsewhere that opened the door for ISIS. So uh, on, on that uh on that word, let's continue. What what are the conditions that are making it easy for ISIS to expand? So the, you mentioned before the like the conditions that we we elaborate on in the um, uh, in the book and elsewhere, which is basically uh, political failures and um, uh, ISIS and other groups operate mainly in um, in the hint, hinterlands of the the region, so areas that are. Uh, they are uh, disenfranchised and they are neglected by by the local uh, you know uh, local governments and so on and so forth. So they uh, they thrive in these areas because there's vacuum. There are there there are political failures and so on and so forth. And these are one of the main factors why people join these organizations. If you look at the, at the map and see when ISIS was the size of Indiana or Great Britain at some point, uh, for, uh, extending from Fallujah. Uh, north of Baghdad, all the way to uh, Aleppo uh, in Syria, uh, these areas are predominantly tribal areas, uh, areas that have been remotely uh, governed by Baghdad and Damascus. Uh, these areas, uh, people feel they're not, uh, they don't belong, they don't share the same um, uh, country uh, as their uh, fellow countrymen because they're neglected, they're out, out of, like, they're not um, uh, engaged and and, uh, and so on and so forth. So uh, this is, like you mentioned, the poverty, uh, neglect, uh, negligence uh, are uh, are factors, and they will continue to be factors. So the favorable conditions that enabled ISIS to rise in 2014 uh, are much worse now. There are better uh, conditions for these organizations to thrive and operate. There's a, a massive space. They have already expanded their mid-management uh, cadre. So they, they, they will continue to, to, to operate there. And we have, you know, two countries uh, where uh, governance is weak, uh, states are uh, weak, uh, if not failing. And uh, that's why I keep, when I talk to policymakers and politicians, I always emphasize this, this idea, is that don't focus on the headlines, that these organizations are being fought today and they're being uh, on the back foot militarily. Look at the 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 real picture on the ground and how these organizations have a long uh, game and they're, they're going to continue to thrive and uh, benefit from the conditions on the ground. The the way, uh, yeah, uh, I, I am not an expert on the Middle East and not by a long shot. But what I can understand, and I think hopefully everyone listening can understand, is if you live in a remote area and uh, and you have hopelessness, Right. Where unemployment is, you know, 50, 60, 70 percent. Forget about our unemployment numbers where clean water is a struggle, where infant mortality is high, where the government is investing nothing in infrastructure or the ability for people to assimilate to a modern economy. uh, You've got desperation. And, you know, when ISIS walks in there, they offer immediate employment. You know, I, they they offer immediate help, and they and and a sense of belongingness, of purpose to those who have no hope. Uh, unless you offer people a better alternative, I do not see how this gets better. Yeah, and then add to all that uh, the fact that Iran is now uh, expanding in the in the region where it shouldn't be expanded uh, in helping uh, the regime of Bashar Assad slaughter. Uh, its own people and helping uh, Iraq, uh, the Iraqi government as well, and so on and so forth. So they have that as, a, as another factor where people, the people who are Sunnis, they don't share the same sect or sectarian kind of uh, uh, sense. They're not necessarily sectarian, but if they, they see a country with a sectarian agenda, with a, an expansion, uh, expansionist agenda, and they feel they have, they're pushed into a corner. Remember, yes. I have to emphasize this. Remember, I have to emphasize this, that uh, the, another, another, another thing that shows that how this is unnatural, like that for groups like ISIS and other jihadists to emerge in these, uh, these, uh, these areas, 
it's important to remember that people reject them. People don't like to be to live under um, uh, organizations that uh, show them uh, slaughtered heads and severed heads and on. No, ice because it's in to... in their world. It's domestic terrorism. Exactly. Yeah. Still terrorism. And, and I, you know, exactly. I'm I I I'm very close. I mean, this is close to home. Uh, my family lived there when I was writing the book, and many people I know live in there, and they they. When they talk about how when they go to the market to, to buy grocery and they see severed heads uh, on, on, in, in the market uh, killed by ISIS and displayed deliberately to terrorize people, to terrorize, terrorize them into submission. And then the whole world, for them, at least the people who live there, uh, see that the bombs are dropped on, on them and there's no hope. There's no way to get out of this situation there's and nowhere there's nowhere to go that's right there's exactly. nowhere to go and and i look i understand this i lived in the middle of laos and vietnam during the vietnam war as a child mm-hmm. so i do understand this you can just imagine the impact this has on young people children that have to walk by heads attached to posts I mean, this is the, you know, and, and, and not being able to move, not being able to do anything about it. Uh, now, let me ask you this. In your view, what is ISIS's end game? What is their overall objective? Because we know they've got a long game, but what what is it they're trying to achieve? They want to dominate. They want to, their, their, their stated goal is to topple governments in the region and take over and establish the Islamic State. This is what they talk about. And it's obviously they talk about world domination. They want to conquer Europe and, and the West. Uh, but that's more propaganda than uh, they don't really believe they could do that. So but effectively, it's they, to capture territory and declare a state, an Islamic state. Correct. Is that right? And uh, Yes. And they, they have been, uh, you know, uh, doing it for uh, for more than a decade. If you listen to their, uh, if you listen to their conversations and they and the, their publications, they talk about it all the time. They say, uh, you know, uh, a decade ago, the United States had the appetite to send troops uh, during the surge in 2008 and to fight fight us on the ground uh, and to dedicate resources and, uh, and so on and so forth. And they say a decade later today, the uh, U.S. is fighting us, but they're not sending soldiers to fight on the front lines. They send in uh, special. And that looks like and so- they've worn us down. Exactly. Yeah. And they see that's a vindication of their long term. Uh, yeah, it's a victory. Strategy. It's a victory because they've worn us Absolutely. down. They bas- we, we basically won't send troops in there. Uh, you know, this past week, uh, Britain's new terror chief said that the U.K. is facing terror threats from Islamic militants not seen since the IRA bombings of the 1970s. We have to take a short break, but when we come back, I'd like to ask you about that. Do you have a feeling that as the U.S. and allies make inroads in containing ISIS, we're going to see the threat level increase. So when we come back, I'd like to talk to you about that. We'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to the Costa Report. Are you struggling with addiction or alcohol problems? If you're depressed, drinking, and using drugs, you may need help. And the Affordable Care Act guarantees coverage of substance abuse. I knew I could get myself out of this. I just needed some hope and some help. I took the first step to recovery when I made the call. Call the Addiction Hope and Helpline now for a free assessment with someone who cares. Call 800-962-6969. I feel like I'm losing control. I'm afraid I'll lose my job or even my family. Call now for hope and help with proven gentle recovery programs. I never thought that I could be somebody who didn't drink and use drugs. I'm in recovery, getting the help I need. Call the Addiction Hope and Helpline now for a free assessment with someone who cares. Call 800-962-6969. Coast Paper and Supply has been family-owned and operated since 1948. They have a wide array of products available, including brand-name and eco-friendly cleaning supplies, paper goods, and compostable plates, cups, and cutlery. Whether your needs are for business or home, Coast Paper and Supply's friendly and reliable staff have what you're looking for. They even accommodate special orders. 
You can find them at 151 Josephine on River Street in Santa Cruz, Monday through Friday from 8 a.m. to 4.30, or call at 831-423-3350. Coast Paper and Supply is a proud member of Think Local First. Hi, Registered Pharmacist Ben Fuchs here. I've been studying healthy bodies for 35 years, and what I've got to tell you may shock and surprise you, but if you listen up, it may change your life. One of the things that I noticed as a young pharmacist working in psychiatric hospitals was the fact that many of my patients were also dealing with movement disorders. As it turns out, these kinds of disturbing effects, which are difficult to treat and oftentimes incurable, are a common adverse reaction associated with regular dosing of antipsychotic medications. Doctors call this condition tardive dyskinesia, which basically means a delay in how the brain and nervous system process information associated with involuntary and out-of-control movements, especially involving the face, jaw, and tongue. One of the strategies doctors use to prevent tardive dyskinesia was dosing with antihistamines, which affect nerve signals that precede TK. As it turns out, these kinds of drugs, which are readily available over the counter and many folks use to alleviate the symptoms of colds and allergies, can have powerful effects on the brain. This was highlighted in a study published in the Journal of the American Medical Association, pointing to regular dosing with antihistamine drugs as a possible cause of dementias. If you're using antihistamines to counteract their side effects, or for any other reason, you may want to consider taking advantage of some non-toxic alternatives. Bioflavonoids found in all fruits and vegetables and herbs, and vitamin C have antihistamine properties, and probiotics also have histamine-lowering effects that can be helpful too. And correcting digestive problems, eliminating problem foods, and just eating less can help reduce the jerks and jolts of TK, help calm the body down, and is always a good idea no matter what your health challenge may be. Pharmacist Ben here urging you to go to kscohealth.com to order Beyond Tangy Tangerine, the Healthy Start Pack, and other nutritional supplements that I personally use and recommend. You can purchase these premium quality products at wholesale prices online at kscohealth.com. That's kscohealth.com. I'm a pharmacist that believes that staying healthy and strong is not only about medicine, it's about giving your body the raw materials it needs to do its work. Go to kscohealth.com. Make sure you check out the cool videos, too, at kscohealth.com. That's kscohealth.com. The Cannabis Connection is the educational outlet for all to engage with policy, science, culture, and local developments in order to orient the community in the rapidly evolving cannabis renaissance. Our goal is to open a dialogue surrounding the potential that this plant provides to heal people's ailments, but also heal our society from a social and economic standpoint. Tune in to The Cannabis Connection, Friday nights, 8 to 9 p.m. on KSEO AM 1080. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and if you're just joining us, my guest today is Hassan Hassan, co-author of ISIS, Inside the Army of Terror. And we went to break. Uh, I mentioned that the new UK terror chief this past week said that the threat level in the UK is as high as it was in the 1970s when there were regular IRA bombings. Uh, as the U.S. and its allies make progress, is it likely that we will see more attacks? Yes, absolutely. And we've seen that already happening over the past year, uh, since uh, February uh, specifically. Um, there's There's been an increase of uh, suicide bombings in Iraq and Syria uh, and across the region, um, you know, uh, in Turkey and elsewhere. And also in, in, uh, in Europe, uh, before that and after. Um, when, when ISIS, uh, you know, ISIS has dedicated so much of uh, its efforts and energy and its resources to build uh, the idea of a caliphate on the ground in Syria and Iraq, and in the process to build its capacity uh, and so on and so forth. So when they start losing terrain, uh, some of that burden is gone to, and, and they can uh, redirect some of the resources, divert resources uh, elsewhere. So in a very strange way, there's kind of a reverse algorithm at play here. Uh, the, the more serious attacks we see on a global basis, the more it may be an indication that ISIS is in fact losing ground in Iraq and Syria. Is that, is that fair to say? Is there a reverse algorithm here? To a certain degree, agree. I agree, but I think um, uh, uh, we have to remember that since 2014, ISIS has turned from a local organization, as an organization focused on uh, on Iraq, uh, Iraq and Syria, to a global organization. It has been deliberately 
competing with Al-Qaeda to become the global leader of jihad. So trying yes. to uh, attract the same people who joined Al-Qaeda before or extremists who were made uh, since then. So uh, ISIS has been developing its international network since then, and I would expect uh, its sophistication to become, uh, you know, more and more improved, uh, you know, as it, uh, as it uh, goes and diverts some of uh, its resources. But certainly uh, that there is correlation there between its, uh, the increase of uh, suicide bomb, uh, bombings uh, and, and its loss of territory to a certain degree. Now, we have a new president in the White House who you say has brought a sense of optimism to policy circles in the Arab Gulf states. Can you tell us a little bit about that? There is, yeah, ironically or paradoxically, uh, there are more people in the region hopeful that this uh, president will um, rethink some of the policies of uh, Barack Obama in the, in, the, uh, in the Middle East. Now, we don't compare between, like, we're not comparing between two presidents. We just compare the kind of the policy. Uh, you know, the, uh, Barack Obama in the region is seen as someone who was trying to get a deal with Iran and neglected some of the prior policy priorities in the Middle East. And also that he, uh, according to officials in the, in the region, uh, he started to, you know, show less commitment towards uh, American allies in the region, even the Israelis have been complaining about this, uh, you know, um, over the past eight years. So there is that sense of optimism that the current administration understands that partnership with the uh, with the traditional allies of the United States is uh, is important, is needed. And also they're hopeful that the Trump administration will start rolling back the Iranian influence in the region, which is, you know, even if you don't agree with these people, you have to agree that Iran has a role to play or, or um, had a kind of a role uh, in the rise uh, of uh, jihadists uh, in Iraq and Syria because they uh, use Iran as a propaganda tool. Yes. Now, how about uh, the Obama administration's relationship with Saudi Arabia? Does Saudi Is Saudi Arabia more optimistic under a Trump uh, administration and policy as well? I think so, and they have made it clear. Uh, the Saudis, the Egyptians, the United Arab Emirates, uh, uh, even Turkey as well, they all indicated that there's an opening uh, with the new administration to uh, bring uh, the relationship back to uh, the pre-Obama uh, years where they can actually work uh, uh, you know, uh, towards one goal, which is basically rolling back Iran, Iranian influence in the region, uh, helping uh, kind of for an Amer- a greater American involvement and engagement. Uh, in the region. They certainly need uh, the United States in the, in the region. Mm-hmm. Now, Saudi Arabia is one of the key elements you point out in stabilizing conditions in the Middle East. In, uh, East. Yet, yet uh, there have been many confirmed reports that there is money flowing from Saudi Arabia to terrorist organizations. Even the perpetrators of 9-11 had uh, ties to Saudi Arabia. Can you address that for a moment? I can, and there is so some of that is is true that the Saudi historically uh, were uh, you know promoting a certain brand of Islam that is seen uh, as intolerant. Uh, but I, I wrote a detailed uh, kind of uh, analysis of this because Saudi Arabia has changed its policy dramatically after the terrorist attacks of 9 11. And then uh, after the Arab Spring, which uh, began in 2011, there is a complete shift uh, and, and, and um, you know, about face in, in the way uh, the Saudis conduct foreign policy. They have been, for example, since 2011, one of their priorities is uh, the rise of jihadism. They've been fighting against jihadism, whether, uh, you know, in Syria, Iraq, uh, and elsewhere in the region, Libya, uh, they, they, that's, that's one of their priorities. So in terms of foreign policy, they are very um, in sync uh, with American priorities. There are other people who, uh, other other countries in the region that uh, work uh, kind of facilitate or see jihadists as less, uh, less of priority, but the Saudis have been, and I think American foreign policy, uh, sorry, uh, policymakers and politicians understand that very well. People who are engaged in the region and know the region very well. But 
then there's always that problem with the uh, Saudi brand of Islam that that needs reform uh, yes. and needs to uh, and the new form uh, the Secretary of State has indicated that Saudi is is moving into that direction the direction that we want. Mm-hmm. Now again, I am not an expert on on the Middle East or Middle Eastern policy. But I have always wondered why the uh, Saudi Arabian government and, uh, you know, a couple of other governments don't get together and try to forge some kind of NATO-like organization. It doesn't have to be NATO, but something in the Middle East that would allow all of these countries to uh, work together to protect themselves from, uh, from the spread of terrorism, like an ISIS kind of organization. Uh, can you... Shed a little bit of light on that. Why is yeah. there no NATO-like organization? Is it is it the uh, reformists versus the traditionalists can't allow them to come to the table and, and put a political organization together like that? that? That's a good question because that is indeed one of the... One of the things that they wanted to pitch to the to the Trump administration, which is basically to help uh, form a NATO-like... Um, you know, coalition in the, in the Middle East. You know that the Gulf states, for example, they are part of uh, the Gulf Cooperation Council, which is uh, a coalition of uh, seven countries in, in the Gulf there, and they work together. But they they feel that they can integrate their, uh, they can, with the United States, to, uh, to have uh, a NATO-like um, a coalition. Yeah, they, you know, the Gulf Council and some of the other organizations that are in the Middle East, they, they seem to be focused more on economic matters than, than lit- literally a security-like organization like NATO. And I know they ought to reach out to uh, Anders Rasmussen, right, who was uh, the president of NATO for so many years. He, he'd be more than right. happy to, to work with them. Well, yeah, and then Turkey can be part of this. And uh, Yes, can, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it makes perfect sense, and uh, I think it has more to do with their own internal differences. They cannot agree on one uh, on something. Well, like I that. will tell you that would be a major victory for the Trump administration if they succeeded in putting together a NATO-like organization in the Middle East. And I think that's probably what it's going to take: is a more localized security organization. We have to take another break, but uh, stay where you are. When we return, we'll tackle the tough subject of immigration reform. I owed the IRS $10,000. The IRS garnished my wages. They put a lien on my house. The IRS is the most powerful collection agency in the world. They do not give up until you pay. I couldn't sleep. We were being audited. I called Tax Solutions Now, and a great big weight was lifted off my shoulders. I called Tax Solutions Now, and they got the IRS off my back. Tax Solutions Now had my wage garnishment lifted in 48 hours. Tax Solutions Now can get you help. Our agents know the rules can stop the pain and get you the best deal we connect you with a team of former irs agents and tax professionals who will get the irs off your back we saved our home and overcame the most powerful collection agency in the world call tax solutions now time is running out call 800-987-0577 I'm here today with Scott Caraccioli of Caraccioli Cellars, recent winners of the best sparkling wine in the U.S. in the Champagne and Sparkling Wine World Championship. Congratulations, Scott. Thank you, Rebecca. Thanks for having me. So what is it about your Brut Cuvée that beat all the other competitors around the world? We really focus on creating an expression of the Santa Lucia Highlands and doing it the right way. And when you control the process from the beginning to the end and you have talent like Michelle and top-tier grapes, they really shine through. This was a worldwide competition. It was definitely a humbling experience. We were in a room with producers that have been making wine for over 100, 200 years and was a huge honor to have Tom Stevenson give us the best you Best Sparkling Wine Award. We fared really well overall. We had three wines win best of class, which was great. Visit the Caraccioli Tasting Room on Dolores Street in Carmel by the Sea, or find us online at caracciolicellars.com or reach us by phone 831-622-7722. Hello, Dave Michaels here, SEMD with Longevity. Now, I know you probably have a lot of questions about Longevity. I'm going to give you a number that I want you to call. That number is 831 831- 
831-218-5726. That's 831-218-5726. I want you to call that number, leave a message, and we'll get back to you with the answer. Whether it's about the Healthy Start Pack, Beyond Tangy Tangerine, becoming a CEO, or finding a distributor in your area. 831-218-5726. That's 831-218-5726. Feel free to leave a text as well. 831-218-5726. If you have any questions about longevity, give that number a call. Leave a brief message and we will get back to you with the answer. If you want to place an order, call that number. If you want to become a distributor, call that number. If you want to become a CEO, call that number. 831-218-5726. Dave Michaels, SEMD, with Longevity. Thank you. Ranger Station. Yeah, hi. I'd like to report a bear sighting in the forest. Uh-huh. One second I'm having a smoke. Next thing I know, I'm face-to-face with Smokey Bear. Wow. And he told me it only takes one spark to start a wildfire. Did you know nine out of ten wildfires are caused by humans? I had no idea. That's why Smokey's famous and you're not. If you see someone in danger of starting a wildfire, step in and make a difference. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Learn more at SmokeyBear.com. Only you can prevent wildfires. Saturday evening, 8 till 9, it's a question of balance with me, Ruth Copland. This week I ask, are the arts important in education? Often the arts are seen as a pleasant add-on, but not essential to getting a job. I talk to Gateway Head of School, Dr. Zach Roberts, award-winning writer Betsy Franco, and high school students about the role of the arts in education and whether they really matter. Join me Saturday, 8 to 9 p.m. to hear my conversations and decide what you think. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and if you're just joining us, we are speaking with the co-author of ISIS Inside the Army of Terror, Mr. Hassan Hassan. And when we went to break, we were talking about the need for a NATO-like organization in the Middle East, which would include countries like Turkey, Saudi Arabia, and other Gulf states. Now, one of the hotly contested issues in the United States right now is immigration reform. And as you know, the new president is now engaged in his second attempt to temporarily halt immigration from countries, which the Obama administration previously identified as posing a a terrorist threat. I'd like to get your opinion on whether this temporary measure is a good idea and what effect you believe it will have on the Middle East. Well, on, on one hand, um, I mean, I understand how contentious the issue is, has been in the, in the United States. Uh, on one hand, I, you know, I see, I see the point, uh, of, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a decision that the Obama administration made and uh, the current administration wanted to enforce. Uh, the, the problem, though, has been in the framing of the whole, the whole thing, the context. In uh, in the region, I, I don't think it has made the, the same noise, but I, I think it's, uh, it's just the framing of it. Is it is it, whether this is targeting Muslims or is it targeting countries that don't have viable governments that the United States can work with uh, and to verify and uh, vet and so on and so forth. Well, of so course, that, the, ad- that... the administration says, well, we didn't include other Muslim countries, so how can it be a ban on Muslims coming into the country? I mean, Saudi Arabia is not on the list. I mean, I understand it. Um, just um, I'm talking about the perception of people, how people understand it, especially if, when it comes in the context of uh, statements and, and uh, saying, you know, uh, that we, um, you know, th- things involving uh, Islam and, and, and these things. For the layman, these things might be taken as uh targeting certain um, Muslims. Well, countries in the Middle East, people who understand the situation, I don't think they've made a big deal out of it. Does this become a propaganda tool in any way? Because, you know, you hear a lot of uh, radio talk show hosts and television pundits saying, well, this will just be used as uh, uh, more fodder for propaganda to show that the United States is really waging a religious war. That, that's what jihadists are saying, and that's what when, for example, when the, uh, President Trump uh, won the election, um, some jihadists, known jihad, long time, long standing jihadists, they they said this is actually good news because that uh, a tells us that the, all Americans hate Islam, 
because the the perception was President Obama, uh, uh, Trump, uh, you know, made it, it's a it's a perception. And uh, second is uh, to polarize uh, societies, whether in the Middle East or uh, in the West. Uh, remember that jihadists thrive on polarization. They wanna they wanna tell you that you you are uh, you're you're suspicious of your neighbor, and if you uh, become suspicious of your neighbor who is a Muslim or or uh, or Shia or Sunni, uh, then we have achieved our goal of polarizing and and making people stand with us against uh, others. Their goal is basically to tell people to take a stance, whether against us or with us. Uh, the, the more the, the important thing is to kind of remove that gray zone uh, in the middle. But is that important? I mean, uh, sometimes policy has to uh, overcome uh, what jihadists say. And uh, if you have a viable uh, policy, uh, regardless of what jihadists say, uh, if you're if you're doing enough to fight them, uh, then that may not, you know, you can't basically drive, uh, can't be, uh, formulate policy based on what jihadists uh, say or just uh, don't say. And yet it's, undeniable that millions of victims have been displaced from these countries and are on the move. The United Nations reports that we're facing the largest number of displaced humans in our history. Uh, so what is the right way to deal with the with uh, immigration in terms of keeping the bad guys out but letting the good people come here and, and have a life? I mean, uh, for me as a Syrian, historically, um, you know, you know, um, as, I mean, as, you as wouldn't far, have been allowed to come in right now. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I I, I, uh, I came here through my, my work, so I, was, I wasn't um, in the kind of the process of uh, uh, that other people go through. Uh, the, 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 you know, coming to the U.S. has always been challenging. And, uh, for example, the first time I, come, I came here, to, to give uh, to give a talk, I was invited to uh, a place here. It took me a whole year, twelve months, to get a yes. visa. Uh, I don't so think that, people really realize that it's not that easy. <laughs> it's not. It's not. No. It's the most. It's the hardest thing to do uh, for any Syrian or the, in the region to get a visa. Uh, not not uh, over the past five years. It's always been like this. It's very difficult because there's so much vetting, so much uh, interviews, so many interviews, and so on and so forth. It's easier to go to Europe. It's easier for people, uh, the you know, ordinary people, to go to Turkey, Jordan, Lebanon. That's where they have gone. Yes. Uh, for people to go to the United States, usually have to be like middle class people who are educated. Um, but I don't know what really about what what was happened over the past five years. But yes. historically, that's the case. Yes. Now, I'm afraid we are just about out of time. So let me take a moment to thank you for a thoroughly researched and excellent book. Uh, I want to recommend it. The name of the book is ISIS Inside the Army of Terror. Again, the Wall Street Journal names it as one of the top 10 books on terrorism. I know there's a lot of fake news out there and alternative facts, but if you really want to know and understand where ISIS came from, what their objective is, and why they've been so difficult to defeat, please pick up this book and educate yourself. ISIS Inside the Army of Terror by Hassan Hassan. Th thank you so much for joining us today, and uh, we hope you'll come back. Thank you so much. That's my pleasure. Thank you. Now, before we close the first hour, I want to be sure that we pay as much attention to our domestic issues as we do matters that affect us abroad. And along those lines, we all recognize that business, business is the engine that propels the U.S. economy and makes us strong. But in order for small and large businesses to thrive, you got to have more than just security. We need a professional, skilled, productive workforce. So here is my question for you today. Are you hiring? And do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? Posting your job in one place isn't enough to find quality candidates anymore. No. If you want to find that perfect hire, you need to post your job on all of the top job sites. All of them. And now you can. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 200-plus job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter, all with a single click. Find candidates in any city or industry nationwide. Just post once and watch your qualified candidates roll into ZipRecruiter's 
easy-to-use interface. No juggling emails or calls to your office. Quickly screen candidates, rate them, and then hire the right person fast. It's so easy and efficient to use. It's what we at the Costa Report use to find the best talent in radio. But you can use it for any job. Whether you're looking for a sous chef, an IT manager, an ER nurse, a carpenter, administrative assistant, a computer programmer, doesn't matter. ZipRecruiter is the best way to find the best person for the job. And to find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by Fortune 100 companies and thousands of small and medium-sized businesses, we're not a large operation, but I don't know what we'd do without ZipRecruiter. Right now, listeners of the Costa Report can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. By re, by, And here's all you have to do. It's very simple. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash report, R-E-P-O-R-T. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash report. You got to put the report in there to be able to post free. So, you know, don't send me emails and go, well, I didn't get the free posting. ZipRecruiter.com slash report. So to try it for free and to get your job posting up there on 200 job sites by just writing the description one time, you just you just click on it. It goes out to 200 job sites, and you can imagine the quality of applicants that you're going to have to choose from. And anybody who has to hire people knows how hard it is to find good talent. It's not hard to get resumes, but it's hard to find good talent. And that, my friends, is all the time that we have this hour. But stay tuned. We'll be right back for a second hour of Straight Talk Radio when I'll tell you what I think about our foreign policy missteps when it comes to ISIS. You're listening to the Costa Report. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 